panel is to give people a voice and a forum to share with you how they've come to believe in their higher power. Maybe it's different than yours. Maybe it's the same. But since love and tolerance is our code, maybe we should hear some people who may not follow along the streamline. I appreciate everybody coming tonight. I'm going to pass the microphone to Harold first. Let him start it off. And then we're going to let everybody share a little bit. And if there's any time left over at the end, we'll go ahead and open it up for questions. There's no stupid questions. Thanks. Back in there for you. Thank you very much. Start yeah, they forgot who you were already. <laughs> yeah, I, I want everybody to see me anyway. And uh, now I got, like I say, I got a sponsor. Uh, my sobriety date is March 31st, which would be this month, 1975. So uh, I know I don't look that old, but uh, it is what it is. Uh, no, I got sober pretty early. I was in my late twenties and about dead, so I didn't have to have a choice. You know, I had to sober up or die. But um, you know, we're going to talk about this varieties of uh, how we get to this spiritual awakening, I guess you'd say, in recovery. And, uh, but you know, I found out a couple of years ago we've been wasting a lot of time on all this God stuff. And I found that out at the International State Convention, I mean, International Convention out in San Antonio. I went to a workshop. And most of these workshops were from professionals that weren't alcoholics. So they knew a lot about alcoholism. (laughs) So I go to this workshop, and it's a panel of judges. And they had this one female judge. She's probably in her 40s. And she says, she's from California, she says, if you come in front of me for a drug or an alcohol offense, I'm going to sentence you to acupuncture. And I thought, I've been wasting all this time going to meetings, <laughs> praying and meditating and working with these other drunks and doing all these things, but I didn't have to. All I had to do was go to acupuncture. Now, my sick brain thought for a minute, easier, softer way. And she really believed that. She really believed that. But I'm not going to take a gamble on that. For this drunk, I know Alcoholics Anonymous don't have a monopoly on sobriety. Alcoholics Anonymous don't have a monopoly on God or a higher power. But this is the only way I have found for me to maintain my sobriety. And so, you know, like a lot of people, um, 
that I've met in the program. Matter of fact, let me tell you one another quick story. Uh, I went to the International um, Al-Anon Convention up in Baltimore. I think it was last year. And they had a guest speaker. And this guy was a proclaimed atheist. He was adamant, I am an atheist. But as I listened to his story unfold, and I hung on about every word he said, when he got done with his story, it sounded so parallel to what we do in these meetings and what we do in our life. He just don't use the words, God. He don't use the concepts. But he's living basically the same kind of spiritual life we are. He just don't get all tangled up in how to explain it and all that. So I don't go there with that, you know, all that. As Bill, I mean, as Dr. Bob said, keep it simple. Yeah. Keep it real simple. That's what I do. I keep it simple. But when I got here, uh, you know, my mom and dad were both devout Catholics, raised in Catholic schools, and but they made a mistake and they married each other. <laughs> Back in the day, you couldn't do that. You know, they kick you out of church for some, I don't know, some ritual. Well, they got kicked out of the church. And my dad hated church. The drunker he got, the more he hated church. And so I had a real good background on churches. Stay away from them. And that meant God too, I guess, you know. Because my dad knew that Bible. Well, Hitler was raised in, in the Catholic school. But so anyway... When I got to AA, my number one, my dad told me I was a disgrace to the family name for admitting I was an alcoholic. There's no such thing in his family as an alcoholic. So I was a disgrace. So I didn't have much support early in my sobriety from my dad. But to show you how people change when I was sober at 15 years, I got a birthday card from him on my AA birthday. Now, I guarantee he was drunk when he wrote it, but I got it. And he was telling me what a great thing it was from what I had done for the family to stop drinking. You know, he didn't get me out of jail anymore. You know, wrecked cars, getting me out of the hospital, so what, fights. So he saw the benefit of me, you know, strengthening up. And, I, you know, I was carrying on the family tradition. Everybody in my family drank. But anyway, get back to the topic. So I get to AA, and I see the word God. Well, number one, I had a problem. As beat up as I was with alcohol, I had a problem admitting I was powerless over anything in a bottle. You're telling me I'm powerless over something in a bottle. No way. I couldn't buy it. But my sponsor got me into the doctor's opinion and said, you have an allergy to alcohol, when you put it in your body, that's when all the problems start. I could buy that. Yeah, I have an obsession once I take that first drink. I could buy all that, so get past that. So I get to this God thing, and I was, oh man, you know, church. So I had a slick sponsor, and he said, I'll tell you what let's do. He wanted me to do the third step. And, you know, as most of us know, our sponsors want us to do it on our knees with them. Mm-mm. I ain't getting on my knees with another man. 
praying or nothing. But all the times my neighbors would see me in broad daylight when the sun's coming up, on my knees, crawling up my yard, trying to get in my house, but that's okay. But I ain't getting on my knees with another man. So he said, okay, I'll tell you what. You take this book and you go home and you get in a private room, you open it to the third step prayer. And you say it to yourself if you're not going to do it with me. And he said, don't just do it once. You do it over and over until it becomes a working part of your mind. So I did that. And every time I get to that word God, I just cringe. And But he had me to do this routine, even though I didn't want to, do it over and over and over. So somewhere along the way, you know, he said, don't, don't, if you don't like the word God, don't just don't use it. You know, just don't use it. But keep praying. Pray into something. And I did that. And so, of course, we got into the fourth step and started uh, doing, the, doing the work. But, you know, he still had me doing the praying. And somewhere along the way, I opened the door. I didn't care who saw me praying. You know, before I'd lock the door. Well, make sure I didn't want anybody to see me on my knees. Today, I would get in the middle of the square downtown and pray. That's how close I am to my Creator. Call it whatever you want. I am that close. And I'm going to tell you, you know, all this stuff I heard when I was growing up, that when you get up there is when all the good stuff's going to happen to you. You just got to be good down here so when you get up there, the good stuff happens. That's bullcrap, you know. My, my impression was that God created the heavens and earth and then took a long vacation. See, y'all, y'all do the best you can down there. That is not true. That is far, that's the farthest from the truth. I've had things actually manifested, manifested in my life. I'm talking about just not want, I'm needs, but wants. Now y'all might think that's strange, but my wife's sitting right there and she can verify it. And I'm going to tell you, all these spiritual experiences I've had over the time I've been sober have developed into a spiritual awakening. And that's what the book says we have to have. We have to go into that fourth dimension, which to me is the spiritual dimension. And that's where I reside. I got a sponsor. He says... You have to stay connected. That's what the book says in the 11th step. We have to stay connected, not just call on God and say, well, I need you for a minute. You know, I tease my wife. I say, of course, she's out or not. I say, when she goes to bed at night, she says, God, I'm going to sleep, but I'll be back in the morning, take back over, you know, and I just kid her. And she knows I'm kidding. But that, you know, I have to stay in that constant communication with my Creator. Waiting for intuitive thought. The book says intuitive thought. It, and it will come. It will come. So once I've experienced it, it's kind of like experiencing my first drink of alcohol. The people that handed it to me said, this will work for you. And they were right. I had to look at God the same way when you people told me this will work for you. And they were right. And it continues to work today. And that's the only way I can stay sober. Because without that, here's here's the deal. 
I've had two major powers control my life, alcohol and God. One or the other is going to control my life today. There's no in-between. For an active, I mean, for an alcoholic, one or the other is going to control my life. Now, the most dangerous place I can be is floating in the middle because life will eat me up. I better be connected over here tight. Or this one over here says, I got room for you. Come on over, you know. And the book says that alcohol is nothing but a symptom of my, what's wrong with me? That might be true. But I darn sure don't want to forget about alcohol sitting on that shelf just waiting for that moment of insanity return. So I got him again. But I'll take him out this time. Am I done? All right, thank you. All right. My name is Kevin. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, sobriety date is August 7th, 2017, just behind Harold there. So uh, <clears throat> this is, this is uh, you know, my biggest fear growing up was public speaking. So what I've learned in sobriety is that if I can get up here and I can actually walk through these fears, uh, I can grow. It's when I cower behind these fears that I stay stuck where I was. So when Timothy called me and asked me if I would be willing to do it, I was like, Timothy, I got to work that Saturday. There's no way I can get all the way down there. Um, it was just my ego. And that's, that, that for me is edging God out, you know. Um, so when I, in my life, uh, I was, you know, growing up, I was the third, third child. So, um, I don't know if you have anybody that's the youngest in here, but if you were alive, you were okay. That's how, uh, essentially my life, you know, my parents were, um, you know, were raised in the Catholic Church, uh, and they gave me the choice, uh, of what I wanted to, you know, what I wanted to believe in, and I chose not to believe. So I, I really, uh, felt that, you know, we existed, we were all here, um, and that was the extent of, of my belief coming into Alcoholics Anonymous. So, you know, to, to get to the point where I'm at today, um, I think is a miracle and I'm grateful that I didn't leave before the miracle happened. Um, you know, so, so just to give you a little bit of rundown, I, I always drank, but I didn't always just drink. Uh, if you guys get the drift there. Uh, so, you know, August 7, 2017, I was, uh, essentially dead on my desk at work at 10 a.m. in the morning. Uh, I had to be revived with two doses of Narcan to be brought back. Um, and that was that was the moment I think you know I was in and out of AA prior to for six eight months, kind of one foot in one foot out, not really willing to do anything, just would show up, you know, would leave real early. Um, you know that was the point that I think God finally paralyzed the liar in me and finally allowed to, allowed me to see the truth in, in what I was. Uh, and getting to that point was very difficult. You know, I uh, I had a long time, you know, twenty plus years of of active alcoholism where. You know, I proved that I couldn't do this on my own. You know, so when I finally surrendered, I finally reached out for help. I finally, you know, was able to surround myself with people that were doing, you know, the right thing. Um, you know, that's what changed my life. So I came into the rooms and, you know, my I got a sponsor. Uh, my sponsor said, you know, we, we need to essentially we need to. You know, we need to get honest, we need to get open-minded, and we need to get willing. And I said, well, I'm not sure this is going to work for me. You know, I was uh, I was pretty defiant. You know, you told me to go left, I'm going to go right with an attitude, you know, that sort of deal. Uh, so the fact that I was actually willing to take some directions and, you know, 
uh, actually start, start taking some suggestions. You know, it was a big change in my life. And, you know, looking back, I, I, I didn't think that I would ever find God. I, I look back at it because, you know, I was so just, I was agnostic, you know, and um, what the book says is we lack knowledge if we're agnostic. So I just had no idea that there was any power that, you know, could solve what I had going on. I just thought that if I couldn't figure it out, that there wasn't going to be an answer for me, you know, and, and getting into the rooms, my sponsor said, well, you know, we got to that third st- or the second step and we, you know, started to discuss what this power greater than my and ourselves would be. Um, and, you know, really it boiled down to that I didn't believe in the beginning. I had kind of had to fake it until I made it. You know, I had to believe that you guys believe. And that allowed me to start, you know. And then, you know, sl- little by slowly I started to finally figure out that if I just showed up, if I got some commitments, if I started working with others, that that was going to be a path of spirituality for me. Um, you know, and, and from there, it's kind of taken off and it's slowly grown. So, you know, it, it, this deal does work and it doesn't have to be, you know, a Christian God or a religious God. It allow, it's open to interpretation, you know. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm reading the, if you guys don't, if you've never read this, the Many Paths to Spirituality pamphlet, you can get it at the, um, your central office. It's a very good pamphlet. It gives you kind of, how we find sobriety and how we find spirituality, um, you know, and, and this very true for me, just working the program allowed me to get connected. You know, I, uh, I, and I had all these, you know, at a very young age, I started building walls. Um, so I would, I would start shutting people out. You know, I would, I would not allow them into my life, you know, just keep you at arm's bay or at arm's reach, you know, just so that I could do what I wanted to do, you know, cause I was selfish to my core, um, you know, and if if you were in my way, that was a problem, you know. So uh, that's kind of the way that I live my life. And, you know, getting into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous has changed my life. It's allowed me to have friends. You know, it's allowed me to have this relationship with a a concept that I never could understand. I wanted to come in here and see God and, you know, see this burning bush, you know, and figure out what this, you know, just conceptualize everything. And that's and what my sponsor told me is that if you if you don't try to outthink it, uh, it might work. And you know that's so so true for me because you know I want to understand everything before I start believing in it. But if I go over to that light switch and I flip it on, I believe that the lights are going to come on. So why can't I believe in this power that I can't see, right? So so that's where it started to finally make a little bit of sense to me. Um, you know, and it, it's just been it's a revelation today that that I've been able to you know, kind of come to this point where I can slowly grow through prayer and meditation, you know, and the fact that, you know, today is so different than what it was two and a half years ago is a testament to working this program. You know, I can apply all these principles and all these steps in every area of my life and, you know, it gets better, you know, it's not always great, but it does get better. It gets easier. Um, you know, my, it's, I was talking earlier and my wife actually wants to, we're trying to have kids, you know, and that, that would not have been the case, uh, th- three years ago. If you would have told her she wanted to have a kid with me, she would have said, absolutely not, you know. So, <laughs> so, you know, I think, um, you know, the fact that, that I'm here and that, you know, I, I didn't die that day, um, you know, and I can hopefully share a message of recovery. That, uh, that it, that it can happen, um, because I was, I was 
thinking that I was terminally unique, that I, I would never, this would never, program would never work for a guy like me. Uh, and the fact that I can come in here and I can get honest and I can actually share what's going on and people can relate. When I finally started to relate with people, uh, that's when I started to grow. And that's, you know, I think, I truly think that God works, um, through other people and he works through, you know, me talking to you, you talking to me. Um, because I had this concept of what God was and he was sitting on this white cloud, you know, with his long white beard, um, you know, and he was judging me. And the fact that I can now search for God within me as opposed to outside of me uh, is a revelation. And, you know, for that, I'm eternally grateful. So that's all I got. All right. Hello. My name is Anka, and I'm a very grateful member of Al-Anon. And, you know, as I listen to people and as I've listened to people in the program, it seems to me that we all seem to be on a journey that is like a spiritual evolutionary journey. We start somewhere and it just keeps going. No. And so I just wanted to share a little bit about how mine got started and where it went. Um, I feel like I was very, very lucky because... I had a family, and I had especially a mother that was really hooked into meditation and Eastern spirituality. So that was kind of where I started, you know. And with that kind of a background, I really very quickly understood that spirituality and religion have nothing to really do with each other, you know. And so... The first thing that I was really uh, taught with, uh, with the conversations I would have with her, with the books I read, uh, with just what was going on in the family and uh, her meditation practice was I got this sense that one of the most important things in life was self-reflection, you know, and that's really what we're doing in, this pro- in, in, in our program, isn't it? self-reflecting on who we actually really are instead of who we think we are, instead of that false self, instead of that ego that is self-centered, that is selfish, that, you know, doesn't really have an idea about how to be useful for other human beings, you know. And so self-reflection was a very important subject, and then there was this other kind of energy in the family. And I call it, you know, worshiping at the altar of self-sufficiency. Y'all know that one? <laughs> right. Okay. Um, so my family uh, was uh, from Berlin, Germany. And uh, after the war, it was really pretty tough. And so the family was not, you know, oblivious to a whole lot of drama and chaos and a whole lot of suffering. And so that's why they, you know, just really um, try to instill in me this sense of self-sufficiency. And my mother, after a few years, married uh, my stepfather, and they moved to Canada. I was about 11 years old. I couldn't speak the language. Uh, and this man, by the way, was a pretty violent fellow, and our relationship was 
can you imagine? Not great. Okay, so I had that going. And then we moved to Canada, and I don't speak the language, and German immigrants, that was tough, being a German immigrant. And so I got a whole lot of bullying. And so what happened to me is that immediately I started to try to survive. What did I do? Well, I became a fighter, and I learned how to, you know, basically take charge and how to strike first. So that's kind of the attitude that I had in my life when, you know, the my daughter uh, kind of fell into her journey with addiction uh, many, many years later. And uh, so you can imagine that with that attitude that our our home really became a war zone. And I wonder if, you know, a lot of us don't have that attitude about life until we start to really have things turn around. So this self kind of reflection that was modeled in in the family, it led me on a path to really investigating uh, many different spiritual traditions, Sufism, uh, Buddhism, and many others. I finally landed pretty, you know, solidly in Buddhism. And I really started to look at, in Buddhism, what it, what it says about suffering. Because there isn't anybody in this room that is not familiar with suffering, is there? I mean, really suffering. And from that Buddhist viewpoint, uh, I was taught that suffering is really about desire and craving. Getting what you want. Okay? And that particular tradition is very solid on trying to show you what that is, who is suffering, and how to exit it. And it seems to me that the 12-step program is pretty similar. You know? It's got a map for getting out of suffering. You know? And uh, one of the things that greatly influenced me uh, was the kind of questioning my mother did with me. I would, like, have a tantrum. Like, imagine being a teenager, you know, and having a tantrum. You know, of course, the entire world re- revolves around you. And I would be, you know, just really acting out. And she would say, well, now, honey, she would empathize with my feelings. And then she would say, but who feels what you're feeling? Or who is thinking that thought? Or who believes that? And so it was always trying to train my attention to go from the external environment to questioning myself. Like, well, who? Well, who is that? You know, who is so angry or resentful or whatever or disappointed or sad or joyful? Who is that? And I began to see the real difference between the ego and then this other core natural organic self that had nothing to do with that. You know, so I had all that going on, and then I did take uh, a journey uh, into the psychedelic landscape. And uh, 
And I, 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 I want to say that I didn't do that addictively, okay? I didn't do it to medicate something. I was really interested in exploring consciousness. And I, you know, personally am, am very, um, I'm, I'm grateful for that experience. I'm very grateful for it. It taught me a lot. I don't pursue it anymore, but nevertheless, you know, it's still part of my, it was still part of my journey. Now, so, so on I go, uh, you know, years down the road, starting meditating around in my, in my twenties. And, uh, and then, you know, I have a, I have a daughter. And that daughter slips into the nightmare of addiction. She was about 13. And so my attitude was to use my sense of sufficiency and I was not going to let addiction control her journey. Okay. Little did I know that I was addicted and obsessed. She was addicted to a substance. I was addicted to saving her. That was my addiction. You know, and that, what does that one look like? Well, those of us that are, you know, Al-Anon members are really pretty clear about that. We are obsessed. We are angry. We're in denial. We're resentful. We don't have any compassion in the beginning before we get into the rooms. So when I had that experience, you know, move into my life, at the time, my meditation practice was not solid enough and it wasn't enough. You know, so something greater than myself brought me to those rooms of Al-Anon. Because I can tell you that if it had been up to me, I would not have gotten there. So, And I'm very clear about that. It was something that led me. Something took me by the hand. And I didn't even notice. You know, so uh, I came to those uh, rooms of Al-Anon uh, the first time that my daughter went into treatment. But the problem was that for several years, guess who sat in the chair in those meetings? The same self-sufficient one, and that's my addiction, okay, self-sufficiency. She sat in those chairs for a long time. And slowly, slowly, meditation practice got better, it got better, and also something else was still leading me something that I didn't have any control over. And that was part of the program. Those were the steps that were working on me. I don't know how they worked on me. I don't know when they really kicked in, but they did, you know. And, you know, I can say thank God. I can say that. Now, with the background that I have, when I first came, I started um, going to the program, uh, not in the South, okay? And so when I came into uh, the groups here, I noticed that the language was very Christian. And I had a problem with that. I really did. But thank goodness I kept my seat because I got over it. <laughs> you know, I just got over it. And again, I don't know how, 
okay? It doesn't mean that I am a Christian, but it means that I don't, I, I don't have to have an aversion for that, just that language that I heard, okay? And so, um, as things uh, developed, you know, with my daughter, and she went further and further into the addiction, and I finally started letting go. That's not anything I could have done myself. That's something at my back, you know, telling me to slow down. It came to me first in the slogans. Easy does it. Keep it simple, you know. And I needed that kind of simplicity as an anchor. So I would say that um, uh, maybe for four years I tried to work the program on my own, doing it alone, cause, because, you know, that, that was uh, definitely part of my MO, doing anything alone. Remember, self-reliance. So that has somehow mercifully slipped away from me. And what I noticed was that the program helped me with my meditation practice. And the practice helped me with my program. For example, do, you know, training in mindfulness, attention, and presence, that helps me do my inventory. No? And the groups totally pull the rug out from under my, you know, doing it alone issue. Okay? So one informs the other and back and forth. And so what I'm really left with at this point in my life is a higher power that I might call stillness and presence and really love. You know that when I can appreciate something, when I can be grateful, when I can have compassion, when I can have humility and forgiveness and understanding and courage, and when all of those things ignite, that's love, the byproduct. You know, and that is, um, that's holding me up. That's holding me up these days. And it just keeps getting deeper. And for me, I've been able to build a bridge between my spirituality in sitting practice and meditation and the program. And it is a really fabulous fit for me. Thank you. wants to go after that. <laughs> Thank you. My name is Shalise and I'm an alcoholic. Hello. My sobriety date is April 20th, 2015. And that is only because of a power greater than myself and very strong sponsorship. I do have a sponsor. She's absolutely the best in the whole wide world. And she did not pay me to say that. She is. She's here tonight. And thank you. 
She is a sponsor, who has a sponsor on up. I sponsor women in these rooms. And I am incredibly grateful to be here in my, dear God, there's a bunch of you. Um, <laughs> I want to tell you that I came to this, these rooms and to all of you in this program, a very broken soul. In fact, I don't know that I would have told you I even had one anymore. And when I came into the rooms and I sat down, I didn't really look up all that often, but when I did, there was those big banners, you know, 12 steps and the 12 traditions, and there was my number one resentment, God. I uh, practice a program of honesty, and I know that through some inventory that I used to very much be defiant and like to tear down the religion that I grew up in. And so I'd like to be a bit more respectful now with that. Um, I will just say I grew up three hours from Salt Lake City, Utah. (laughs) And many things that happened in my life um, were justified by God and religion. Most of those were very painful for me, and those were the ones I had to write on the inventory. Um, I wasn't going to be okay that we had to talk about God because I didn't understand a God that would let me have a life that I lived as a child. I didn't understand a God that said it was okay that my, my baby brother dies in a car accident and I get to watch him die. I wasn't okay with a God that's, that allowed me to be sexually abused. I wasn't okay with a God that, that tore my parents apart and my mom is gone and my father's violent. My stepmother's basically trying to kill us. I, I just didn't understand and they told me, you know, because they didn't take us to therapy or anything. They took us to the bishop and he said, well, when you were in heaven, you know, the concept, like you all have said, up here, when you're in heaven, evidently we're in some kind of school, and we choose this life. And we came here absolutely understanding this is what we were going to go through. And I can't imagine that I said okay to any of that. I mean, no, there's no way. <laughs> So when I saw God, I was like, I'm screwed. I will never be able to get sober. I won't be able to come become whole again because God, I can't do that. Like what was shared previously, when I first sat down in the rooms, I heard a lot of Christianity. I heard God. I came later to understand that the God I'm mad at is my childhood God and, and my childhood um, religion. And so I began working with a sponsor, and I got to the part, and I heard people say, just believe that I believe. Just let the group be your higher power. And that worked for me because, my God, sobriety looks so good on you. And you were happy, and you laughed. Nothing was funny in my life, but I liked your laughter. So as I'm letting you all 
be my higher power, and I'm believing that you believe, and I'm working some steps, I come out of a little bit of selfishness for a minute, and I've noticed that my sponsor's working on all this homework and stuff going to school, and I happened to ask her, well, I'm sorry, you know, been all about me, what are you going to school for? She was going to school to be a minister. I was like, I was speechless. I will tell you, I went, oh. And you know what she said to me? What length are you willing to go to get sober? And I was like, okay, I can believe that you believe. I mean, I got really good at this. You believe, I believe you do. Okay. But we talked about surrender, which meant I know nothing. And of myself, I am nothing. And I cannot run my life because I don't do a good job at it. And on my path, and that's what I call my journeys, my path, I knew we were leading up to the third step prayer. I knew what the third step, how it was written. I knew this was going to be turn your life and will over to God as you understand him. I could not fathom that. So all the while, as I'm, like, trying really hard to stay on step two, because <laughs> I didn't want to do any steps, the word God was in, because I, I just couldn't, I couldn't, I'm willing to go to any length to get sober, but, oh, not the God thing, please. While I'm working on step two, and I'm, I know I'm going to go into a third step, I know she's going to ask me to rewrite it, okay? All this time I'm hearing higher power. I'm hearing a power greater than myself. And I took right to that. I heard love and tolerance is our code. And that just made my hippie heart so happy. (laughs) Because I'll tell you what, I have searched all my life for some love and some tolerance. And here it is, here in AA. I also was very grateful for the first time, and I'll never forget it, when somebody said, we're going to close with the Lord's Prayer or a silent prayer of your own choosing. And it was then I felt included. So I go on to write my third step prayer. And I'm trying to figure out who am I going to address this third step prayer to. Dear AA... Um, my home group, dear, simply the solution. I'll turn my life and wheel over. And I say it to be funny, but I was really like, what am I going to call it? Because I can promise you it's not going to be God. And so I rewrote this third step prayer, come to our house, and she said, I want you to take my hands and we're going to pray together. And I addressed my higher power by name with her. And I said my third step prayer. And she hugged me. And to date, in fact, before we walked into this room, she prayed with me. And she prayed to her higher power and mine. The way that I've come to believe my my spiritual path is this. That there is 
a divine source. I don't really have a name for said divine source, but higher power. And all paths lead to that. And I see that we're all connected. I don't believe in coincidences. I believe that I'm here because I'm meant to be here. And you all are in this room because you're meant to be in this room. And that's by this divine source we call higher power. The steps led me to the door that I got to open to divine source. And on the door was my higher power's name. To me, it doesn't matter what the name is. What matters to me is that I'm connected to it. And you all are connected to it. I will end by saying this. On my last sobriety birthday token celebration, I stood up and I thanked God and I thanked my sponsor because for quite a little while, my whole life and my sobriety was in their hands. And today I can say thank God. I can say thank God. following these people. I'm one of 12 kids. Um, I'm I'm born and raised in the Bay Area in California. I love it there. Um, Being one of 12 wasn't so easy. We had a lot of dysfunction. Most of us in this room understand that firsthand. Um, I am an alcoholic, and my name is Carolyn. My sobriety date is... uh, June 15th, 1994, Um, and so I was living in Colorado, little mountain town, pretty as hell, just pretty, 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 little lake, pretty, same six drunks, you know, Uh, and I was the town clerk in that little town, so I ran the town, but I was also the town drunk, so... uh, um, I don't even know why, why, why I got sober. You know, I had it made. I had a job, money, a house, a car with two good tires. It did not, it didn't go over 45 miles an hour and I paid 300 bucks for it. Um, but something happened and I stopped drinking. Now I'd never in my life heard of AA, Bill W, any of them. Never heard of it. Never, never, never. But the do-gooders in my little town who took pity on me because I, I, they'd find me in the grass and places, <laughs> you know, and, and, and they'd throw a blanket on me and, you know, watch me, you know. She's doing it again. Yeah. And, and they, they were sober people. I, I didn't never met any, you know. I, I didn't know any. Um, I didn't want to hang out with them, for God's sake. Um, I had a lot of secrets. I had a lot of secrets. And when I was drunk, it didn't matter anymore. See, it didn't matter. So I wasn't in any kind of preparation to get sober. No. No. It, It wasn't on my mind. 
But I stopped drinking. That's all I did was stop drinking. So the do-gooder showed up, and and uh, they brought a big book, like that one and that one. Uh, and and I didn't read it. And there was no AA meetings either. <laughs> uh, there were six sober people, too. Uh, and they all talked amongst themselves and uh, decided we better get an AA meeting. Carolyn's getting sober. <laughs> So they they got together and got a key, and I had the key because I was a town clerk, but it was, like, different <laughs> because it was their building, you know, that I had the key to. So I gave them the key, and then they gave me the key. I, I, I'm not kidding. It was the biggest honor of my whole life is to be given the key to that room that we met and had, and they made me make coffee. Well, listen, you know, we Alkies are a little bit overachievers, right? I had, I ordered coffee because that was going to be really good coffee. Decaf, regular, and back then, now all the people in my time zone knew that we all smoked back then, right? Remember? The haze. It was the whole room. It was like you had to duck to see each other. You couldn't see each other. It was so smoke. Yeah, smoke, 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 smoke. I mean, I was new, and thank God they didn't quit the smoking by then, because, man, I was smoking a coffee and smoking a coffee. And then they brought up this idea of a God. And I went, oh, no, we're not, no, 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 we're not going there. I'm not going there. So anyway, I was kind of desperate because I had been, well, first of all, i got to tell you the truth. When they got the AA meeting started, the, my sponsor Liz Lotgren, God bless her. Um, she would call me. We only had one meeting a week, one once a week, right? And she'd call and say, Carrie, you want to come to the meeting? I'd go, sure. I'd call her back five minutes. Nah, I don't think so. I'm fine. I, get, I got the book you gave me. <laughs> and then the next week, hey, Carrie, you want to come to the meeting? Sure. Nah, I'm fine. I got the book you gave me. And after about a month of doing that, I was so lonely. I was the loneliest, saddest woman you would have ever met in your whole life. I was, I was ready to check out. I was absolutely ready to check out. The loneliness of being sober and not having anyone to talk to about it is very dangerous. Don't do it. So I finally crawled to the, oh, I got a, uh, this is, when I got the key is when I finally started going to the meetings. Then they gave me the key, but I'd already given them the key. And then I started making a really good coffee. Okay. <laughs> Smoking. Right. So anyway, uh, it, it, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm not used to this stuff at all. So I'll jump around. But anyway, that is my story, and that's how I think. <laughs> also, I'm a double winner. I go, I'm a, I, uh, 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 I'm a regular person at Al-Anon. Any of you AAers out there, get your ass into Al-Anon. It'll teach you how to be a good friend. I promise you. I promise you. Go to Al-Anon. If you're an alcoholic like me, who are my friends? You are. <laughs> Anyhow, so the whole God thing, I, uh, I was raised in a crazy-ass family in California. We were poor. I didn't know we were poor, but we were poor, and we were exposed to a lot of different religions, 
they all scared the crap out of me, all of them, because I, I knew very young that I was going to hell. Well, anyway, so I had to fight that business in AA and that big book they gave me. I scratched out. I looked for the word God throughout the whole, and I scratched it out throughout the whole big book. I forget now. I'm old and forgetful how many times I had to scratch out the word God. But they were good to me, you guys. You were good to me. You didn't say I had to do anything. You let me walk that journey, the path to my understanding of a power greater than me. I used, I still use you as a very dear friend of mine right there says, you are God with skin. Anyway, I get emotional because I would be dead. I think probably half of us would be, you reckon? I mean, the drunks in the room anyway. (laughs) We were reckless. We did naughty things. You know, <clears throat> we were awful parents to our children. We were terrible friends to our friends. We didn't treat our own parents worth shit because we didn't like ourselves. AA has taught me one day at a time that I am worthy of your love. And, okay, here's where I really fall apart because I was like the old country western song, I didn't have a car. Well, I did have a car, but it was kind of funky. But my kids had gone, my dog was gone, you know. So you turn that record backwards and you go to AA, work a few steps, believe in this business, you get the dog back. You get a car that goes over 40. (laughs) And the most important thing is that I have a relationship with my children today. I have a relationship that is so profoundly amazing with my children. These are the people I abused the most. I didn't mean to. I was just an alcoholic, you know, but gosh, I would hate to be raised in now. Al- I wasn't raised in an alcoholic family. I was raised in total dysfunction. So, but anyway, the abuse is still real to them. Anyway, um, if you're new or nearly new to this way of life, stick around. Ask questions. Don't be afraid of being wrong. Be wrong. Be wrong. Get up. Ask that lady right there. How'd you do it, babe? And don't be afraid of love. Because, see, now I'm getting down to the, finally to the point. The God of my understanding is love. Love is love. And love is the only answer. And if I love me, I am able to love you. And in that, I find God. Thank you. We have time for one, maybe two questions, if anybody has something on their mind. Yes. Hi, Brian Paul, and I'm alcoholic. Hi, Paul. Uh, I wanted to ask the, uh, the panel members, uh, our fellowship has a book, a guidebook, to facilitate the path to spirituality. It's called Pain to Believe. <laughs> and um, I, mean, I know it's not popular, <laughs> but... Uh, did any of the panel members use it or find anything particularly wrong with it? There was nothing wrong with that book at all. It was a great book. It was given to me by a woman with 40 years of sobriety. I still have it somewhere in my 
good book. Read it. Thank you for your question. Anyone else? If you would be so kind as to humor me, if you feel comfortable, please close your eyes. If you are in this room tonight and you are struggling to find your higher power, or you have found it and you're angry, whatever may be holds you back, Feel that? Do you feel the energy in the room? Do you feel the positivity, the love, the compassion, the camaraderie of sitting next to someone who has experienced both trials and triumph and who you can share possibly anything with? If you can feel in this space, you can find it. Thank you.